I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome into a solo edition of Critical Thinking. Andrew Coppins alongside you for the rest of the week by myself. It's just me, myself, and I. This is a Truth or Fiction Tuesday. Twitter, the intelligence community, Title 42, Elon Musk quitting Twitter, and Donald Trump going to prison. All of that and more on this edition of Critical Thinking. <laughs> Welcome in, everybody. You know the drill by now. You can follow me on the socials. I am at The Coppin Show. We have a jam-packed episode for you on a Truth or Fiction Tuesday. And by the way, if you are interested in participating in Truth or Fiction Tuesday going forward, you can do so by simply replying on Twitter. That's right. You can go. I will put a tweet out on Monday and just reply to that thread and your best statement. Again, Truth or Fiction is simply a statement. And then we discuss. That's how this usually rolls between Pat and I. But Pat is out the rest of the week. Um, he is helping family and um, hosting family for Christmas and all of that wonderful goodness. So I, I was a nice boss. I gave him some time off to deal with those things. Um, but uh, this will be the last full week of new shows and new things um, that we're going to be talking about next week in between Christmas and New Year's, as we noted on yesterday's end of year show. We are going to um, have a couple of mini episodes for you in which we take evergreen topics, topics that don't necessarily need to be something that um, is involving current news and current events and current politics, and take a look and, and dive into them. And I think you're going to find them pretty fascinating. I thought we had some really good discussions because they're already recorded and in the can. With that being said, uh, this is going to be a, as normal of a week as possible for the rest of the week with me, myself, and I for you. Now, today is Truth or Fiction Tuesday, and um, well, I'm just going to start by ripping the Band-Aid off here because we're going to want to discuss a brand new Twitter files that dropped yesterday, and the Truth or Fiction statement is this. It's time to dismantle the American intelligence community. It's time to dismantle the American intelligence 
community. So why do I bring this up? Well, it's part and parcel because of the Twitter file revelations yesterday from one Michael Schellenberger. It's also part and parcel of the JFK files that were and weren't released over this past week. And what I have come to the conclusion on and what I believe is that this is true because they have gone so far afoul of their original intent, their original purposes. We know the CIA has been involved in coups. We know the CIA has been involved in political kingmaking and this and that and and things that are just really ugly, nasty, and terrible about our history as Americans. But I really want to talk about the Twitter files release because it shows that just simple requests, right? The, that, that's what the left wants us to believe as we talk about this. And, and uh, I've seen it from the libertarian side as well. These are just simple requests by the FBI. In Twitter, in Facebook, and blah, 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 they're all just free to take down those bad tweets and, and wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, the FBI is looking at these tweets and, the, and they're just... They're just wanting you to know that these uh, these things are bad and and do as you might wink, wink. That's what the left. That's what a lot of the libertarian, I would say, the left side of the libertarian movement wants you to believe. But that's not the reality that Michael Schellenberger talks about. And he had a very long thread and I wanted to go through that thread. So, OK, we know the Hunter Biden laptop story got spiked. But we don't know how. We don't know how involved the FBI was. We don't know much of this information. And that's what was released yesterday vis-a-vis -vis Michael Schellenberger. So Michael Schellenberger, <clears throat> I'm going to spare you the details of the release of the New York Post story. What we know is that the New York Post story is 100% accurate. It was 100% true. And the Hunter Biden laptop is authentic. Okay. We know that. And we know that the FBI had possession of that laptop, the real laptop, since 2019. Now, the leftist conspiratorial people are going to say, well, produce the laptop. The FBI has produced the laptop. Independent experts have verified the authenticity of this laptop. This is not some copy paste, put it into a laptop. And we're about to get into that. So. As we pick this story up from Michael Schellenberger, it is point number 11 if you want to follow along on the Twitter thread. He says, first, it's important to understand that Hunter Biden earned tens of millions of dollars in contracts with foreign businesses, including ones linked to China's government, for which Hunter offered no real work. Here's an overview of by investigative journalist Peter Schweitzer, who has been on top of this story from the get-go, folks. So <clears throat> go check it out. It's a nine-minute long clip. But he continues, and yet during all of 2020, the FBI and other law enforcement agencies repeatedly primed Yoel Roth, head of trust and safety at Twitter, Yoel Roth, the guy that makes and breaks these types of decisions, right? They repeatedly primed Yoel Roth to dismiss reports of Hunter Biden's laptop as a Russian hack and leak operation. And what did they mean by hack and leak operation? Well, we're going to get into that in just a moment. Schellenberger gets into a sworn declaration by Roth given in December of 2020, 
stating that since 2018, I have had regular meetings with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, and industry peers regarding election security. During these weekly meetings, the federal law enforcement agencies communicated that they expected hack and leak operations. So again, since 2018, so two years into the Trump administration, Yoel Roth is being told by the intelligence community that there should be expected hack and leak operations by state actors might occur in the period shortly before the 2020 presidential election. This is that October surprise scenario, and this was going to be hack and leak information that would be damaging to whom, right? Trump's opponent, and, and we're not to believe this information. I was told in these meetings that the intelligence community expected that individuals associated with political campaigns would be subject to hacking attacks and that material obtained through those hacking attacks would likely be disseminated over social media platforms, including Twitter. These expectations of hack and leak operations were discussed throughout 2020. Now, would it behoove <clears throat> the FBI if they had information about these potential hack and leak operations to work with the CIA, work with the intelligence community writ large to avoid those hack and leak operations? Because if you knew that they were coming, you probably knew the actors that were going to be involved in that, right? Alternatively, since 2019, since January of 2019, you have known that there is some really damning information about Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and the Biden crime family, right? You knew that there were going to be criminal-type information that could be released vis-a-vis -a, -vis a real laptop. Now, mind you, again, in 2019, the FBI knew of its existence, knew what was in there, and decided to do nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, about it. So let's continue. They did the same to Facebook, according to CEO Mark Zuckerberg. <clears throat> the FBI basically came at us and was like, hey, you should be on high alert. We thought there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. There's about to be some kind of dump similar to that. He said that on Joe Rogan's podcast leading up to the 2020 election or after the 2020 election. Number 14 on this list. Were the FBI warnings of a Russian hack and leak operation related to Hunter Biden on any New intel? No, they were not. Quote, FBI agent Elvis Chan in November of this year, in a deposition, said, through our investigations, we did not see any similar competing intrusions to what had happened in 2016. So again, remember, I told you, okay, they must have had some information about potential foreign actors that were going to do things that were bad. Or they knew the contents of this laptop and were priming and grooming Yol Roth and Twitter and Facebook and da-da-da-da down the line, right? <clears throat> this is the admission of an FBI agent that they knew of no such foreign intelligence that would have predicated them to have warned Twitter, Facebook at all, okay? No similar competing intrusions to what had happened in 2016. They knew of none. That means they were talking about the Hunter Biden laptop here. Indeed, number 15, Twitter executives repeatedly reported very little Russian activity. On September 24th of 2020, Twitter told FBI it had removed 345, quote, largely inactive accounts linked to previous coordinated Russian hacking attempts. They had little research and low follower accounts. 
In fact, Twitter debunked false claims by journalists of foreign influence on its own platform. Quote, we haven't seen any evidence to support that claim by one underscore and at NBC News of foreign controlled bots. Our reviews thus far shows a small scale domestic troll effort at hand. And that's very much what was going on. Uh, the, the, the 4chan, the QAnon type crowd trying to troll through the election, right? This continues because after FBI asked the ask about a WAPO story on alleged foreign <clears throat> excuse me after FBI asked about a WAPO story on alleged foreign influence in a pro-Trump tweet, Twitter's Roth says, "quote The article makes a lot of insinuations, but we saw no evidence that this was the case here, and in fact, a lot of strong evidence pointing in the other direction." <clears throat> so Twitter is telling Facebook. Or the FBI, and the FBI still is trying to get them to do what? To take these things down. <clears throat> Number 18, it is not the first time that Twitter's Roth has pushed back against the FBI. So Roth understands that, wait a minute, the, the scenario that you're attempting to tell us that, that is going to be playing out here in the 2020 election, we don't see evidence of it. And he repeatedly tells the FBI, he repeatedly tells the intelligence community, no dice. It's not the first time that Twitter's Roth has been pushed back against, uh, has pushed back against the FBI. In January of 2020, Roth resisted FBI efforts to get Twitter to share data outside of the normal search warrant process. And this is important for you to understand. This is why the story matters. None of the Hunter Biden stuff necessarily matters other than for you to know that the FBI was attempting to groom social media to do political damage, to do political propagandizing, to literally influence an election. The FBI was attempting to influence a domestic election, let alone what the CIA has been able to do for 50 years across this globe in influencing elections. That's a whole nother kettle of fish, by the way. But pressure had been growing. Quote, we have seen a sustained, if uncoordinated, effort by the IC, intelligence community, to push us to share more information and change our API policies. They are probing and pushing everywhere they can, including by whispering to congressional staff. So what does the FBI want access to? What does the intelligence community really want access to? They want access to real-time data. They want access to be able to real-time. They want access to the API, the keys that identify users and where they are and how they're interacting with people. They want all of your data, all of it. They want access to it in real-time so that they can do what? What possible purpose could the FBI have in getting this information? This is the Federal Bureau of Investigation, not the Federal Bureau of Intelligence. This is wholly outside the scope of the CIA, the FBI, the, the NSA. This is outside the scope of anything that they're, they are supposed to be doing. They have mandates from Congress. They have laws. They have ground rules that they are supposed to be following, yet they are attempting to use private business, just like they have in other instances, to obtain data that they know they cannot legally get access to without paying another actor. 
This continues, though. Time and again, FBI asked Twitter for evidence of foreign influence in Twitter response that they're not finding anything. Despite, Twitter, uh, despite Twitter's pushback, the FBI repeatedly requests information from Twitter that Twitter has already made clear it will not share outside of normal legal channels. So, on the one hand, this is great news. Yoel Roth is saying, bleep you, FBI. You get a warrant. You prove that you need to investigate this information. And then maybe we'll think about it. Then, in July of 2020, the FBI's Elvis Chan arranges for temporary top-secret security clearances for Twitter executives so that the FBI can share information about threats to the upcoming election. Now, this is probably smart, okay? Temporary top-security clearances so that things that are moving fast in the world of misinformation, disinformation, all that wonderful goodness that we heard during the 2020 election— that if it's really happening, we can deal with it in real time. This is probably a smart move on everybody's part. But on August 11th of 2020, the FBI's Chan shares information with Twitter's Roth relating to the Russian hacking organization, APT, so Apartment 28, right, through the FBI's secure one-way communications channel, Teleporter. Recently, Yoel Roth told a reporter that he had been primed to think about the Russian hacking group APT28 before news of the Hunter Biden laptop came out. Now, what do we know? Again, let's back this information up again, right? So what do we know? That the FBI has been indicating for, at this point in time, we're talking July, they have been indicating for seven months, eight months, nine months, 10 months, right? They've been backing these guys up. And by the way, since 2018, in some cases, but at least since January of 2020, they've been planting the seed that <clears throat> there's going to be a foreign influence hack and leak operation, which is kind of what the Hunter Biden laptop story appeared to be, right? This is how they could prime this. They, they knew the information, again, on the Hunter Biden laptop story to be accurate, to be real, the Hunter Biden laptop to be authentic. They knew that information they didn't tell Twitter that information. They didn't tell anybody that information. Instead, what did they do? We are seeing through these Twitter file releases that they set up Twitter, Facebook, social media, the media in general to expect something. And then when the release of that information that they knew existed was released, they used that setup to influence Twitter, Facebook at all, to dump a real story of political criminal significance. And mind you, to this day, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Tony Bobolinsky, any of the people involved in that, and by the way, if you still go to CNN.com and type in Tony Bobolinsky, his name doesn't appear anywhere, which is weird because he's one of the key players in this story, whether you interviewed him or talk about him. He is a key player in this story because he is the link between Hunter and Daddy. But I digress, okay? The FBI have been doing what? Setting up Twitter executives, Facebook executives, playing the little puppeteer, if you will, to these individuals. And Roth says that when the Hunter Biden laptop story came out, quote, it set off every single one of my finely tuned APT28 hack and leap 
and he means leak, hack and leak campaign alarm bells. Because in August of 2020, FBI's Chan asked Twitter, does anyone there have top secret clearance? When somebody mentions Jim Baker, Chan responds, I don't know how I forgot him. An odd claim, given that Chan's job is to monitor Twitter, not to mention that they work together at the FBI. <clears throat> well, Jim Baker, well, he's the former general counsel of the FBI from 2014 to 2018 and one of the most powerful men inside the U.S. intel community. Just so happens to get a job at the FBI, which also turns out to be a really odd coincidence for literally hundreds of people who have high executive level jobs at the FBI and then magically end up at Twitter. Now, as general counsel of the FBI, Baker played a central role in making the case internally for an investigation of whom? Donald John Trump. Then Baker was not the only senior FBI executive involved in the uh, Trump investigation to also go to Twitter. Don Burton, the former deputy chief of staff to FBI head James Comey, who initiated the investigation of Trump, joined Twitter, Twitter in 2019 as director of strategy. So you have general counsel James Baker, you have director of strategy, who happened to have been the deputy chief of staff to James Comey. There were so many former FBI employees that they called them Boo alumni, aka Bureau alumni, working at Twitter, they literally had their own private Slack channel and a crib sheet for different language for new FBI arrivals. But I continue because efforts continue to influence Twitter's Yoel Roth. In, in September of 2020, Roth participated in an Aspen Institute tabletop exercise on a potential hack and dump operation relating to Hunter Biden. The goal was to shape how the media covered it and how social media carried it. In September of 2022, they were grooming, priming these individuals, knowing again full well the Hunter Biden laptop story was out there for somebody to find. And when they did, what were they going to do? Oh, this is a foreign actor hacking, leaking, dumping the story, and you need to dump this story. The organizer of that event, by the way, was Vivian Schiller, the former CEO of NPR, former head of news at Twitter, former general manager of the New York Times, former chief digital officer of NBC News. And attendees included Meta, Facebook's head of security policy, and the top national security reporters for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and others. By mid-September of 2020, Chan and Roth had set up an encrypted messaging network so that employees from Facebook or from the FBI and Twitter could communicate. They also agreed to create a virtual war room for all of the internet industry, plus the FBI and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Then, on September 15th, 2020, now notice I didn't say the Director of National Intelligence, the Office this is going to be an important distinction later on, because then on September 15th of 2020, the FBI's Laura Demlo, who heads up the Foreign Influence Task Force, or FITF, and Elvis Chan request to give a classified briefing for Jim Baker without any other Twitter staff, such as Yoel Roth, present. September 15th is literally one month from when this story breaks. What, what is the need 
what is the information? What is the foreign influence that Joel Roth shouldn't know about? That only Jim Baker could know about. What is it? Well, on October 14th, shortly after the New York Times uh, New York Post publishes its Hunter Biden laptop story. Ross says, quote, it isn't clearly violative of our hacked materials policy, nor is it clearly in violation of anything else, but adds, quote, this feels a lot like somewhat subtle leak operation. Where would he have gotten that somewhat subtle hack and leak operation, right? Where would he have ever gotten that information from before? I, I couldn't fathom. I, I had no idea. Number 35. This is the killer moment in this entire Twitter file dump. In response to Roth, Baker repeatedly insists that the Hunter Biden materials were either faked, hacked, or both, and thus a violation of Twitter policy. Baker does so over email and in a Google Doc on October 14th and the 15th. And yet, it's even, and yet, number 36, it is inconceivable Baker believed the Hunter emails were either faked or hacked. The New York Post had included a picture of the receipt signed by Hunter Biden and an FBI subpoena showed that the agency had taken possession of the laptop in December of 2019. The New York Post had possession of the subpoena of that laptop. They had the receipt with Hunter Biden's signature on it. Could that have been faked? Absolutely, it could have been. But the FBI, you know, James Baker, Jim Baker's former employee, employer, they knew this was real. He knew it was real. He took and went puppet master on Yoel Roth. Because in number 37, as for the FBI, it's likely, it likely wouldn't, um, excuse me, as for the FBI, it likely would have taken a few hours for it to confirm that the laptop had belonged to Hunter Biden. Indeed, it only took a few days for journalist Peter Schweitzer to prove it himself. Number 38, by 10 a.m. on October 14th, Twitter execs had bought into a wild hack and dump story. Quote, the suggestion from experts, which rings true, is that there was a hack that happened separately. And they loaded the hacked materials onto the laptop that magically appeared at a repair shop in Delaware. That is what the FBI planted within executives at Twitter, Facebook, Meta, whatever you want to call it. Okay. At 3.38 p.m. that same day, October 14th, Baker arranges a phone conversation with Matthew J. Perry in the office of the general counsel of the FBI. The influence operation persuaded Twitter execs that the Hunter Biden laptop did not come from a whistleblower. One, one linked to a Hill article based on a WAPO article from October 15th, which falsely suggested that Giuliani's leak of the laptop had something to do with Russia. What the Twitter files are now going to tell you is that there is evidence the FBI agents have warned election officials of foreign influence with the primary goal of leaking the information to the news media. This is an absolute political dirty trick used to create the perception of impropriety. And that's what they used here, right? The, the, the perception was that this story was, we had to believe that somebody hacked into the real Hunter Biden laptop, right? Took the information, faked an old Apple laptop, brought it to a repair shop in Delaware, left it there, signed the name of Hunter Biden, and then just so happened to be a laptop 
uh, a repair shop owner who would go to the FBI. The alternative reality, the 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 reasonable thing to potentially believe about this story is that it's true. Let's start from that premise and work our way backwards. Instead, the FBI has been priming, Yoel Roth has been priming every Twitter executive and then also dumping its quote-unquote former employees into executive-level positions that would allow for them to influence the people who had the power to take this story down. This was a long-term play employed by the leftists at the hierarchy inside the FBI and the intelligence community. That's what this story is about, folks. It's not about that they influenced Twitter to do something at the behest of the Biden crime family. It's that this was a political, dirty trick, and they used the intelligence community embedded within social media apparatuses to influence the outside actors within those companies. This was a long-term play by the intelligence community to attempt to influence an election because they simply didn't like Donald Trump. Again, in 2020, the FBI gave a briefing to Senator Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson claiming evidence of quote-unquote Russian interference into their investigation of Hunter Biden. The briefing angered the senators who say it was done to discredit their own investigation. Quote, the unnecessary FBI briefing provided the Democrats and the liberal media the vehicle to spread their false narrative that our work advanced Russian disinformation, lest you forget that part of the equation. Notably, the then-FBI general counsel Jim Baker who uh, was investigated twice, okay, in 2017 and 2019 for leaking information to the news media. You're saying he's under criminal investigation? That's why you're not letting him answer? Mark Meadows asked yes to a Politico article. Number 45, in the end, the FBI's influence campaign aimed at executives at news media, Twitter, and other social media companies worked they censored and discredited the Hunter Biden laptop story. By December of 2020, Baker and his colleagues even sent a note of thanks to the FBI for its work. Despite all the evidence over the preceding two months to have known that this was actually true, either they buried their heads in the sand and didn't pay attention to the work of Peter Schweiger, John Solomon, Just the News, all of these organizations that did the legwork that Twitter could have done. The FBI's influence campaign may have been helped by the fact that it was paying Twitter millions of dollars for its staff time. Quote, I am happy to report that we've collected $3,415,323 since October of 2019, reports an associate of Jim Baker in early 2021. And yes, this is all legal, by the way. The pressure from the FBI and social media platforms continues to this day. In August of 2022, Twitter execs prepared for a meeting with the FBI whose goal was to, quote, convince us to produce more FBI EDRs. EDRs are an emergency disclosure request. 
aka a warrantless search. The FBI is still attempting to get into the API information, to get into the inner workings of everything at Twitter. Because the Constitution is just such a bastardly, dastardly thing to have to get around. Now, in response to the Twitter file revelation of high-level FBI agents at Twitter, Jim Jordan said the following, I have concerns about whether the government was running a misinformation operation on we the people. Yes, yes, they were. So as I look at this, the question at hand here over the course of the last half hour is the statement, it's time to dismantle the American intelligence community. And the answer to this is yes. Because we can't go backwards. We can't pull the rug out from underneath the intelligence community necessarily right now. We have to reshape and reimagine and reintroduce the guideposts. And we have to demand vigilance from those who are supposed to have the oversight. We saw that. Grassley, Johnson, what what is the uh, what are the FBI and the CIA attempting to do here? They're attempting to discredit the people that are investigating them. They're using political dirty tricks to get out of having to account for their rogue actions. More importantly, the American intelligence community has become a political hit group. That's what they are. They're doing political bidding of the left because the left populates the inner workings. Now, so what what, what would you say on the other side of this? What would you say if this was the false statement? We can't dismantle the intelligence community, and maybe you should work to have people on the right get into these positions of power. That's not how that is going to work. It will never work that way. Never, ever, ever work that way. The FBI has not become a body of investigation. It has become a body of intelligence gathering. It is wholly dedicated to political hackery. It is wholly dedicated. You could take a look at the JFK release, right? The hidden parts of the CIA potential involvement in whatever went down. We we can talk about that. And, and by the way, there's a really great history channel um, documentary, a, a well, not documentary, but a great history channel series that really dives into the publicly known information and puts some pieces together. I really enjoy it. So you should go check it out. It's like the JFK files or something of that nature. Um, but it involves <clears throat> former intelligence officers doing the actual work of intelligence gathering and doing the actual work of putting the pieces of investigations together. So all of this is to say, how do you deal with this? You have to take away their power. That's how you deal with it. You have to, because they're using their power to spread mis and disinformation. The mis and disinformation campaign in the 2020 election was the work that they did behind the scenes to tell them, wait, look for that hack job from Russia, except for it never actually happened. So how do you deal with that? You have to take their power away, and then you have to rebuild or rethink how you work within intelligence gathering and federalizing everything. You have to rethink the National uh, Intelligence Office, the NSA, the CIA, the alphabet soup 
of the intelligence community. But that requires real, serious individuals inside of Congress. And before I get into the second statement, I would love for you guys to make sure that you are supporting those who support the show. And that means going to our sponsor over at coffeebrandcoffee.com. We have said this time and again. We have supported other coffee brands and we have switched over to coffeebrandcoffee.com partly because of its message, but most importantly, because of its quality. The product is amazing. It is really good. It, it is small, small, small batch coffee, so you're going to pay a little bit more for this, but it's individually roasted. It's fantastic smelling, tasting coffee. Go to coffeebrandcoffee.com. They don't care about your politics. They care about the quality of their product. CoffeeBrandCoffee.com. Enter the promo code Critical Thinking at checkout for five percent off of your purchase today. Again, enter that Critical Thinking promo code at checkout at CoffeeBrandCoffee.com. And I doubt that you're going to be able to get it before Christmas at this point in time, but maybe for the New Year, maybe uh, you know, nursing that hangover from the night before, whatever have you. But CoffeeBrandCoffee.com. Enter the promo code Critical Thinking. All right, so this brings me to another story here and the seriousness or lack thereof of our legislative oversight that we're supposed to have and the legislative body that we're supposed to have. And it's this statement, truth or fiction, Title 42 should be lifted. Again, it's Title 42 should be lifted. So what is Title 42? Well, Title 42 has been a part of our code that allows for, in emergency situations, the government to restrict immigration, supplies, all this sort of stuff based off of communicable disease, okay? The last time this was used, it was in 1929, in which the United States decided that they were going to um, block ships from China, Taiwan, and Japan, and I believe a couple other locations in uh, Southeast Asia. And they were going to do that because there was a massive meningitis outbreak in those countries. So they did not want meningitis coming to these shores. It was temporary until that outbreak uh, was released, and then they released it. Obviously, we get everything from Japan, China, Taiwan these days, right? But Donald John Trump used this, and potentially rightfully so, when it resulted uh, when COVID happened, when the pandemic was going down. So we're going to restrict the ability of migrants to come to the United States. We're going to test them and then expel. We're going to test and expel, test and expel, based upon their status as, as potentially bringing communicable diseases into this country. And given how quickly and how dangerously COVID was spreading at the beginning of this pandemic, this made some sense. But we're now going on almost year three of this declaration of Title 42, this invocation of Title 42. So my question, as I critically think through, should Title 42 actually be lifted, is this. Is it the position of the libertarian or conservative that we are still inside of a pandemic? Okay, so if not, because that's been 
for at least a year, year and a half, my position. And we're not we're not actually in a pandemic. We're just dealing with a virus that's going to be here from time to time throughout the years. It's going to be something that we have to live with, like the flu, like many other things, right? Okay. So then why are we fighting as conservatives or some cases libertarian thinking people? Why in the hell are we fighting for this to remain in place? Now, what would be the argument against lifting Title 42? We have a massive immigration problem, and we saw the results of the potential to lift Title 42 over the last week. The, the city of El Paso has declared a state of emergency, a highly democratic El Paso, Texas. We don't have the, the compassionate housing that we need for the individuals that are pouring over the border. We see records of thousands of people pouring over into the Rio Grande River. We see, you know, I think it was 700 a, a day over the course of this weekend pouring into one small town on the border in Texas. They're overwhelmed, right? That's the argument against lifting Title 42. We need to keep it in place. The other part of this argument against lifting Title 42 is Joe Biden's own stance on, on the COVID situation. He still is declaring a state of emergency in the United States of America. People still cannot travel into the United States of America from foreign countries without proof of vaccination. You are still attempting to fight the NDAA that stripped the vax mandate for our soldiers. You are still attempting to tell us boost up, jab up all the time every day. Oh, I mean, every two months now, according to the CDC. You're still attempting to tell us in one breath, we've got to take this pandemic seriously, and then on the other breath, lift Title 42, because why? I, what, what would be the purpose of this? Here's where I come down with this. If I am to believe that, that this is about the rule of law, if I am to believe that Title 42 is to be used only in the cases of communicable diseases and Ebola or whatever else you have you, right? This is about protecting the American citizenry from a potentially deadly virus. If that's what I'm to believe, I also happen to believe the pandemic is over. And if we're to, to believe that we're supposed to, with every strand of this, this virus, um, it gets less virulent. It gets more communicable. What, what, am, what are we supposed to do? How long does this last? Why not use it for influenza during the influenza season? Why not invoke Title 42 every single year from October to March? Here's the reality. If I am to believe that the pandemic is over, which I do, we can take our personal mitigation efforts and do all those things. If I am to believe that, like a good libertarian should believe, I cannot support Title 42 being in place just because it's a convenient thing for those who want the massive immigration reform. Your druthers are with the people who are creating law, who are refusing to deal with the crisis that exists on the border. Your druthers are with the president of the United States who refuses to go to the border to understand what the hell is going on there. 
It is one thing to hear about it on the news, to hear about it in reports, to hear the stories of the migrants and the people at the border and the border patrol agents and this and that, that you can get in your daily briefing. It is a wholly different thing to actually experience watching thousands of people pouring across a border in the dark of night, risking life and death to come to America. Because if you were to experience that, if you were to see it, would you have the policies that you have? Or would you demand some sort of different action? Would you demand that we actually deal with our immigration problem? Yes, you would. And there's the rub in all of this. Title 42 should be lifted because the pandemic is over. It's as simple as that. There is no way, no how that you can make that argument with a straight face today. There's no way. Now, do I understand the Supreme Court lifting this as they're or staying this, right? Making sure that, hang on a second, let's leave it in place for right now as we deal with this constitutional question. The simple question that must be answered by the Supreme Court is this. Is the invocation of Title 42 everlasting? Or do you have to prove actual need for it? What, what's the line that you're going to walk here? I'm sorry that the the unserious legislators that we send to Congress and the Senate refuse to deal with the problem at the border, refuse to deal with the reality because, oh my God, it's a political hot football or hot potato. I'm sorry that that is happening. I really am. It's a sad state of affairs that we have such unserious people in these offices. But it is not... The problem, if you want to change Title 42 and make Title 42 of the code representative of some sort of other crisis, do it. Pass the legislation. Do the effing work. But you won't. You won't do the work. You won't because you haven't done it for 20 bleeping years. You refuse to deal with the root issue. You would rather attempt to treat the symptom than the root. And all you do by treating the symptom is make the symptom temporarily go away until it rears its ugly head again and in worse form the next time. So it's a pox on all of us for putting these unserious morons into Congress. But just because I believe them to be unserious doesn't mean that Title 42 should stay in place as a buttress against this or a buttress against the the crushing immigration that we're about to see. Maybe, just maybe, people like Miriam Bowser, Lori Lightfoot, Eric Adams, all of these mayors in which, you know, Greg Abbott and and, uh, Ron DeSantis put pressure on by dumping the migrants over there, right, into their cities. Maybe, just maybe, that is the key to actually getting some freaking action done. But legislation is the answer here. If you want to deal with it, deal with it. Let's have that. Let's have it out. Let's figure out a policy because our immigration system sucks. It doesn't work. It is totally broken. It is totally useless. And we create a magnet for illegal immigration. Let's create a pathway and a magnet to legally get here. Let's be that beacon on the shining hill. Let's be that. But that requires legislation. Just because you don't like something happening doesn't mean you misuse 
legislation and misuse the code of the United States. That is that is wrong on its face as a libertarian or conservative. Misuse of policy in the pursuit of attempting to change policy is wrong. Title 42 should be lifted because we're not in a bleeping pandemic. It is as simple as that. Now, on the flip side of this, notice how Joe Biden's not making that argument yet. But that's the real argument. The real argument is that Title 42 expressly talks about communicable diseases and limiting immigration and influencing of or in products and trade. That's what it's there for. We're trading and letting products in from all over the world. Title 42's invocation was necessary for a while. Once we started to understand the realities of this virus, it should have been lifted a long damn time ago. Because, again, I cannot emphasize this enough. If you believe that Title 42 should be in place, you are arguing that we should have it for influenza, that we should have it for every other sort of virus that exists that people can get sick and die from here in the United States of America. Alternatively, here in reality land, again, the argument would be we don't do it for the flu. We don't do it for this. We don't do it for that. And this is exactly why we're not doing it and shouldn't be doing it anymore here for COVID. What makes COVID special in the year 2023 as they're about to take a look at this? What in the hell makes it special? The answer is nothing. And I'm sorry that that's going to bother you. Build the build the wall, border, border, border types that want this in place simply to use it as a political cudgel. No, this is something that should be gone. Then we should have people being serious in Congress, being ready to replace this, being ready to do something, to take action. Instead, they just enjoy bitching into your computer screens or your phone or on your TVs every single night and doing nothing about it for my entire life. And by the way, the answer is an amnesty, because if it was, the amnesty that was given under Ronald Reagan would have stopped the problem. All right. So let's go ahead and move on to a third topic here, a third truth or fiction. And this one is Elon Musk using a Twitter poll to give himself an out. Elon Musk used the Twitter poll to give himself an out. And what do I mean by that? Well, Elon Musk put a Twitter poll asking the general public whether or not he should be or shouldn't be the day-to-day -day head of Twitter. And by an overwhelming majority, they said, uh, get out of here. You're gone. Don't do it. So I'm going to give you a hint. What would be a level one, like, basic rule in business if you are at an executive level. That basic rule number one is do not ask a question you don't already know the answer to or have an inkling what that answer is going to be. Elon Musk would not have asked this question. So I'm going to go with this as being truth. Because Musk would not have asked that poll question without knowing that people were going to say, get out. But what we also know is that Elon Musk is now day-to-day -day head of Tesla, SpaceX, Starlink, and Twitter. 
can't possibly be everything to all people all the time, making proper judiciary decisions. That's just the reality of the situation that's at hand here. So for me, I'm looking at this from that perspective. So the other part of this is by doing this, what does he allow himself to do? Save face, Homer Simpson into the bushes, right? And bring somebody on to take the day-to-day -day operations while in the background still holding the puppet strings. That's what this is going to allow him to do. I fully believe that, that, that this will be the cover. He has somebody in mind. I don't know who that's going to be. He also has indicated that it's a really difficult job and I don't know anybody who would want to take it on, which means he has been thinking about somebody taking it on. But it's going to be somebody that's going to be dedicated to free speech absolutism. It's going to be somebody dedicated to, to not making emotional, irrational, on-the-spot decisions like Elon Musk has been making. This is going to be somebody dedicated to making this into a serious engineering company, not a serious political, wah-wah-wah, my employee company. This was never sustainable for Elon Musk to take the day-to-day, everyday decision-making operational aspect of ownership. Again, I don't know who the right person is to take that job. I really don't. But the reality of the situation is that he can't do this because he needs to look at Tesla. Tesla's stock down some 57% um, you know, in 2022, while electric vehicles are becoming more and more popular. We have the potential for Starlink. And, and here's what I really think is, is the case. What I really think is the smart move here is for Elon Musk to take up Tesla and SpaceX. SpaceX has that division in Starlink, right? What I really believe is going to happen here is that he's going to hand that day-to-day -day operational side of Twitter off, but he is attempting to use some of that engineering uh, skill set and understanding of it to develop a different operating system to de develop a competitor to Apple to whatever to give an alternative and eventually this is just going to be a free market alternative to the iPhone to the Android platform uh, to Google to give us a third rail that will really exist the, I think that was actually the end goal of buying Twitter all along is to give us that free speech platform and then we're going to have a platform in which that free speech platform can exist without the threat of whatever the hell Apple and Google is going to do down the road. I think that's really where this is going. But we shall see. On that note, I know you've heard me rumble and ramble on for long enough. And as always, please be smart, be safe, be kind, make sure you eat all of your meals today. And as always, Matthew 547. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.